Have you heard anybody say it's not fair? Maybe even yourself, you've said it is not fair. Well, today we're going to compare the idea of entitlement versus thankfulness. And in order to do that, please join me in the reading of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, selected verses. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and send them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock, that afternoon, he was in the town again and saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them. Beginning with the last workers first, when those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they will receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. Resting behind this parable is the idea that we don't work in the kingdom of heaven so much for the rewards that we receive, but just for the joy of working in itself. Do we serve willingly and gladly just because we love our, our Lord and Master? Entitlement happens when there is a shift between serving to being served. Dr. John Thousand, in his book, The Entitlement Cure, describes a person's entitled when when this person thinks, or in my case, when I think that I am entitled to a special treatment, maybe because I am a good person, or maybe because I work harder than other people, or simply because I think that I am entitled to that treatment. Hence the common expression, it is not fair. If this is the first time you heard this parable, I'm sure that that's pro exactly probably what you're thinking. It's not fair. I have witnessed how people struggle very hard when they hear this parable with the idea of justice or injustice. We have a serious problem when we think that God owes us something. I am not trying to make you feel bad or give you a guilt trip. If that's what I'm doing, I'm failing at my job. But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to make you or help you understand why as humans we act in this way. And there is only one way we can do that when we, walk, when we go back to the Word of God. Isaiah 55, 8 says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. How then we dare to think that we can understand God's way of doing things? 
We started this series from the book, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies that I've Loved, from Kate Bowler. Kate Bowler is a Duke Divinity School professor who was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer at her age 30th. As she faced with her own mortality, she struggled with the uncertainty, is this really going to work for the best in my life at this time? She questioned these platitudes or cliches that we use to encourage or to make sense when people's lives are in troubles or going through struggles of life. Hence the title of her book, Everything Happens for a Reason, which are well intended, like I said, but most of the time we are not careful enough with the timing when we say these things. For this reason, she created from this book a podcast that she called Everything Happens. Life happens, everything happens, and sometimes not necessarily for a reason. In contrast, there's another story in the Old Testament, probably a very well-known story that I want to use today to help us evaluate the way we act when the unthinkable knock at our doors. That story comes from the book of Job. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of us. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil, which described the character of Job's life. Verse 13. One day when Job's son and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sibians raided us, they stole all the animals and killed all the farmhand. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldeans raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly, a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house in all sides. The house collapsed and all your children are dead. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Job stood up, tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. Job's response to the unthinkable is remarkable. He certainly doesn't expect any special treatment. His action conveyed the message, God doesn't owe me anything. Pastor Vidalis mentioned this idea of unconditional love last week. Unconditional love, it is only possible when we are able to relinquish, to surrender this idea of control in our lives. And we see this in Kate Bowler's book as she writes, Control is a drug. 
and we are all hooked. Whether or not we believe in the prosperity gospel assurance that we can master the future with our words and attitudes, I can barely admit myself that I have almost no choice but to surrender. Are we entitled to live our best life now? Or can we just enjoy God's blessing, feel with joy and peace even in the midst of trouble? I have the, the honor, the privilege to share with you an interview that I um, had with Chris Fletcher, one of our own parishioners, who is here to share with all of you his experience as, as he went through the unthinkable in his life. So Chris, thank you very much for um, being with us today. We certainly appreciate, we, we know how difficult this may be, but, but we also know and understand how powerful uh, this testimony is going to be. So in order for the, for the people that don't know you, how about if you introduce yourself, tell us a little bit of your family, and tell us your story. Why are we here? Sure. Um, my name's Chris Fletcher. Uh, my wife is Amanda. Uh, we've been married for eight years. Uh, we have a four-year-old son named Cole and a two-year-old daughter named Hunter. So in early mid-June, um, uh, I was uh, diagnosed with stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, it was uh, uh, certainly a challenging year last year, and uh, today I wanted to come and share my story with you in the church and um, you know, kind of how we as a family and, and we as a church kind of, uh, you know, went through this process and, and how I got through it and where I am now. There's classic Hodgkin's lymphoma mm -hmm. and there's non-Hodgkin's. I had uh, stage four Hodgkin's. Do you even knew that before this was diagnosed no. to you? No. So tell us, walk us a little bit of... Um, when you get this diagnosed, how do, how do you assimilate all this and, and your family? What happened through all that process? Sure. Um, well, it started out uh, earlier uh, last year, you know, January, February, March. Um, I was getting sick a lot. Um, felt like the flu, you know, fevers for a couple of days. Um, just not really myself, um, you know, lack of energy, uh, kept going back to my primary and, and, you know, really wasn't seeing anything going on. Um, so fast forward that, that early, uh, June, um, I was outside one day mowing the grass and, um, I came inside, I was, I was having trouble breathing. Um, we took my temperature at 104 degree temperature, um, and, uh, went to urgent care. Uh, and this is kind of how that process started. And, um, you know, they did a chest x-ray and they found this large mass. Um, it was about the size of your cell phone. Uh, it was wow. about uh, six inches long by three inches wide. Um, basically wrapped around my heart and pushing on my lungs, which is why I was having trouble breathing. Um, fast forward a couple more days, you know, we slowly start to piece this thing together, um, end up in the ER, uh, still having trouble breathing. And uh, it was at the ER that they diagnosed it as lymphoma. Um, still a lot of uncertainties. Obviously, when you hear lymphoma, um, and you don't have a medical background. Um, I think my first reaction was just, um, I felt numb, um, uh, you know, that sense of shock and, and obviously fear. Um, that, and it just, it sat there for quite a while. Um, I think just because of all the unknowns, um, not knowing what exactly it was, um, 
not realizing to how, you know, what the extent of, of the disease, how far it had advanced. Um, so over time, we, we learn more, we learn more. And, um, you know, the, the one thing that we learned about Hodgkin's is, uh, although it is rare, um, it is treatable. Um, there are ways that they have found to, to, to successfully treat this. Um, so eventually, uh, and in the process, I think is one thing that really uh, kind of surprised me was I'm, I'm thinking, okay, we find this, you know, I'm expecting to, you know, start right away, start treatment. So it was about a month later, um, by the time we, we picked our team of doctors uh, that we ended up working with and coming up with our plan um, and learning that I was stage four, um, you know, at that point, then we were able to start treatment, which I believe started, um, I want to say mid to late July. And that's kind of, you know, um, that was the start of, of, of actually me kind of having this sense of calm. Mm-hmm. Um, we had this direction that we were going to go. Um, you know, we had the, the support of, of you, Pastor Vidalis, and, and the church, uh, obviously my family. Um, and I think once we had our plan, um, I kind of had this like sense of calm um, and understanding that this is what we're going to do. Um, and, uh, and, you know, six months of, of chemo uh, and immunotherapy, a um, couple little bumps along the way. But um, at the end of December, I was able to, to, to ring the bell and, and, uh, and leave the hospital. And uh, currently, uh, I am in remission. Good, good. Um, obviously, these that you described, they're all tangible actions. You're, you're hands-on, trying to get it resolved. Talk to us a little bit about the intangible, like the feelings. How, how is your faith being shaped through this process? How, what are your, your feelings with, with all, when you're dealing with all this? Sure. Um, you know, I hate to say it, but the, 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 uh, my very first... Uh, feeling was actually um, motivation to be there for my children. Um, faith was was a, a, a part of um, how I got through this, but my initial reaction was the uh, the thought of not being there for my kids, and um, you know that's that's scary. So of course, um, and and just the feeling of not being in control of what's going on. Um, so you know, like I said, that that sense of calm came after. You know, I had opportunities to speak with you and and Pastor Vidalis, and and you know, and, and that's where my faith, I think, started to become stronger. Um, you know, uh, really putting my life and 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 the hands of of God, and and also watching my wife do the same, and and it was amazing. You know, both of us just really went through this with with the the belief that this we were going to beat this. And, and I would say that's where, you know, we were able to strengthen our, our faith together. Chris, were, were you upset at God at any point? Did you, did you went through the, what I think, the normal question, why me? Why am I going through this? Um, did you ever went through that stage? I, I think briefly um, in the beginning. Um, I think that's, that's common. Um, but like I said, once we put our plan together, once we knew the steps we were going to take, um, all of that went out the window, and it was all motivation for me. Um, 
I like I said, I want to be there for my kids. Um, I want to see them grow up. Uh, I want to be there for my wife. And um, it was just a fight. That that's I looked at it as every day we're going to fight this and we're going to take it one day at a time. Um, you know, the, those thoughts, of course, they creeped into my head in the beginning. Um, and, and I think that's okay. That's, that's normal. Um, but, uh, for us, it was, it was setting our goals and, and, um, taking it one day at a time. Uh, you mentioned you, you had the desire to be there for your family. What are the other things that you, that you can recall that help you stay the course that to stay motivated, to, to move along? Um, at the time I was, uh, I was still working, I, I, you know, working full time. Um, you know, I, I actually think that being able to go to work, uh, helped keep my mind off of it. Um, our chemo regiments were, uh, I would go in every other Thursday, um, for sometimes 10 hours, uh, a day. And, uh, we would spend that time Thursday through Sunday, you know, going through treatments and recovery. And then, um, you know, by some miracle, I'd roll out of bed Monday morning and Monday through Friday, I'd go to work and Monday through Wednesday, I'd go to work and then we'd start, start all over again. So, um, for, for our support and the, the support that I, I felt kind of helped get me through this, um, aside from just my family and, and, and that, that inner motivation obviously came from the church, um, and my team of doctors and nurses, um, you know, when you're going through something like this and, and, you know, you, you realize that it really does take a village. It takes a team from the chemo nurses that were there for those 10 hours, you know, a day that I would do my rounds. Um, you know, my wife was there for, for my, my sessions. My mom would show up, um, you know, that support. And then even, um, support from my coworkers. Um, I, I would try to go to work as much as I could. And, um, and I think the support there uh, was also uh, very helpful. Good. So you mentioned at the beginning that you're already in remission. So when you look back, Chris, um, how, do, how do you see this like a, like a nightmare, like a, a teachable moment in your life? Um, you know, we're, we're talking this week about these things that happen for a reason. Um, but the author of this book actually challenged that those phrases that we normally say without really thinking, especially of the timing. And like I said, I can ask you that question because that is in the past now in your life. But now from your own lips, how, how do you see that experience now playing because you can see it back now? Sure. And, um, you know, there, there are certainly times where, uh, you know, the, the generic response is everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. Um, but I could tell you, I wouldn't wish this on, on anybody. And this is, uh, this is not something that I, I would want anyone to have to go through. And, um, you know, looking ahead though, uh, obviously my perspective has changed. Uh, my family's perspective has changed. Um, you know, I, I certainly, uh, I, I try not to get too worked up, uh, whether it's at work or, you know, when those little things start to, to stress you out, uh, I, I, I find myself, um, you know, catch myself um, finding the, the positives and everything now. Um, you know, so to say that everything happens for a reason, um, 
you know, in this case, I think, uh, I think the important thing for me was to just learn from this and, and um, use this experience that we went through as a family to grow uh, in my faith and, and just as a person. Um, my biggest hope is one day that uh, I'll, I'll be able to be there for someone who's going through this and share my experiences with them um, to help them get through the scary times. Well, and this is, this is precisely one great opportunity to that. What would you say to somebody who is going through a similar situation now? You know, going through a difficult situation like this, um, it's okay to have fear. It's, it's, you're going to have mixed emotions. Um, what I like to do is just think about, you know, your plan. You know, get a plan and, and, and stick to it and, and know that it's not always going to go the way you expect. Um, but, you know, have faith. Have faith in your family. Have faith in your doctors if, if this is what you're going through. Um, and stay the course. Um, that's all we can do. Um, you know, just keep smiling and stay positive, uh, and know that you're not the only person going through this. Uh, I'd say that was the, uh, the big eye opener, the very first round of chemo. Um, you know, I'm sitting in this little cubicle and I'm looking around the room and there's 30 of us, uh, in this room, you know, on a Thursday at 8 AM, uh, going through the same thing. So you're not alone, um, and uh, and and find that support, find that find that support system that that can help keep you positive. You're not alone. Keep smiling. What a great way to see it, Chris. Thank you very much. Thank we you. We appreciate that very much. Anything that you that you want to say to close this interview? Um, just thank you, uh, thank you, Pastor Vidalis. Um, thank you, Church, for for always being there for us, for praying with us. Um, last year, you know, it, 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 it was a struggle and, and, you know, we got through it together and that's how I look at it. It, it was a we thing. It wasn't just an I thing. And, um, um, and I just, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful to have you guys in our lives. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I'm afraid to say something after you, what you just heard, but in this life we have some things for certain one of them is that we are all going to die, that we will have trouble, we will face difficulties in this life, but also that God has promised to be with us. That's what Jesus said when he said, in this world, we will have troubles. But he, the, he didn't stop there. He continued and he said, but take heart, be encouraged. I have overcome the world. Interestingly, when Jesus said these words, he was trying to tell his disciples that he was no longer be with them here on earth. But the, this whole verse starts when he said, I have told you all these things so that in me you may have peace. So in him, regardless of the troubles that we are facing, we can have peace. Just as you heard Chris say, even in the midst of what he was going through, he was still able to smile and be joyful. Even when I can't understand what God is doing, I can still trust God that whatever he's doing, he is in control. Do what is expected from you. Maybe the best thing that you can do is be quiet, but be present. 
Maybe you can share a meal for somebody. Maybe you can do groceries. Maybe you can um, clean somebody's house. Offer love and not explanations. God bless you all.